This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a Stephen King adaptation podcast. We are spending the season talking about Lizzie's story on Apple TV, and I'm Joe Lipset. And I'm Terry, and we have yet another hour of watching Julian Moore's beaten up face because she still hasn't gone to the Booyah Moon. Oh my gosh, lady, you are sitting in front of a pool and your husband has told you repeatedly that water is the way in. And she had that realization, from what I remember, last week. And yet, here we are again. She has to continue thinking back about this pool when it's like so obvious at this point. And I, we touched on this a little bit last week, but it, it annoys me when we are so far ahead of the characters. Like, dramatic irony aside, mm-hmm. get with the program, woman. Yeah, because folks, we are talking about episode five, The Good Son, which means that after this episode, we only have three left in this miniseries. And I won't lie, Terry, I am a little bit frustrated. You know, I think we were getting there last week, and then this week feels a little bit like more of the same, although maybe even a little less interesting. And uh, I just... I don't know. I'm I'm watching the show and I'm kind of shaking my head each week now. And that's not where I want to be. I, I get that. We kind of talked a little bit before the episode, just a, a tiny bit. But um, I feel like I might be a little bit on the opposite side of you in this particular episode, because I actually really thought that this flashback for once worked really well. Although I will say that the story keeps getting further and further away from being a Lisey story mm-hmm. and more about Scott Landon's fucked up life story. Indeed. Yeah, this is something that we raised early on and it's come to fruition. It's like we forecasted this thing. It's, this is very much the story of Scott Langdon, his abusive slash troubled slash frailty inspired childhood. I don't even know what to, what to say anymore about his father. This season or the show has towed the line between an interesting depiction of mental illness, but also mm-hmm. like uh kind of validating the abuse in a way Mm -hmm. and i don't know and i still five episodes in do not know if the show is going to appropriately and um subtly and with care tackle this subject matter Mm -hmm. and and to be honest i don't even know if we're going to get any more of this father character so yeah folks if you haven't seen this episode roughly just under 40 minutes of it is dedicated to the flashback that Scott told Lizzie on their honeymoon about what happened to Paul, his older brother. And we've been default assuming that the father killed him. And this proves to be true, but not under the conditions that we thought like last week, it seems that again, our speculations are coming true, Terry. We thought that the, Is it the tall boy or the long boy? The long boy. The long boy. Although he is very tall. He's very tall. So it appears as though the long boy managed to possess Paul when he touched him in the Booyah Moon while he and Scott were exploring. And as a result, he ends up having to be chained up in the barn, tortured for seemingly three (laughs) weeks, starved, 
left mm. to the elements mm. and ultimately mm. uh, he ends up having to be put down by the father <laughs> when he gets free and nearly <laughs> kills Scott. Uh, I'm laughing because as you're explaining this, it just sounds so ridiculous and so um, upsetting at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> but yeah. y- yes, that is exactly what happens this episode. Although I will say that I, the, the moments with, Paul and Scott were actually pretty horrifying. This is the first time that I felt that this show has really dove full force into uh, the kind of horror. The show is kind of skirted around it a little bit, particularly like last episode where uh, Lisey gets beaten up. I mean, the opening of that episode was horrific, but this is like the first supernatural full on uh, horror aspect of it that had the possessed Paul chasing after Mm -hmm. Scott in a really kind of, I thought it was a really well, really well shot sequence. He's has hands that are somehow much bigger than the rest of his body. Like his Mm -hmm. hands are all of a sudden mannish and it's, that was sort of unsettling. Uh, He's screeching like a possessed bird. Oh yeah. Um, I know what they were doing or I know what they were going for. And it was effective at the beginning. And then it just got really grating and it felt like, almost an endurance test to try to get through this because Paul is just screeching this whole time. Yeah. It wasn't very pleasant and and not like a pleasant in the way that it makes me feel uncomfortable, unpleasant Mm -hmm. in the way that like, can we just please just shoot him, put him out of our misery? Cause it's so annoying. Like we get, we get the point. We know what you're (laughs) trying to do. Can we move on or can we, can we try something new? Like I, I was far more a fan of Paul being a kind of insidious, manipulative creature and trying to lure Scott Mm. from the house and getting that gorgeous slow push in on young Scott's face as he grapples with this idea of like, maybe my brother is back. I don't know. Dad's not here. Maybe I should let him loose. And, you know, Pablo Larine is pushing the camera Mm. in and it's great. Like a lot of this stuff is actually very good, I just, I kept looking at the clock and saying, oh no, okay, we're going to spend most of the episode doing this. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from with that. I, For me, it actually, I thought was paced really well where I was like, man, I, I didn't want this stuff to end because this is the first time I felt really enthralled with what was uh-huh. happening on the screen. Okay. Whereas before it's been, it's very, I mean, we've, we've touched on this a bunch of times. It's kind of slow. It's kind of languid. It's kind of meandering. Right. This actually felt very focused. I like that it was for the most part, just one particular flashback instead of being mm-hmm. like a flashback and then getting a flashback and that flashback and then cutting. Oh gosh, yeah. And we do get that a little bit towards little the end bit. with some kind of interesting edits between mm-hmm. the three different time periods that are happening in this, in this particular episode. But for me, I was just, I was enthralled by this, this trauma. And that one scene that you were just talking about is probably my favorite moment of it, where you have Scott that is caught between two monsters at this point. Yeah. He's caught with his father who's walking in slowly behind him and you're just waiting for violence to happen. Ooh. And then there's the monster outside. And so that moment, I was like, this is a really effective visual metaphor for what this poor kid is going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? I feel like if this weren't episode five of a limited <laughs> series miniseries and it was a 30-minute short that I just happened to watch at a festival or mm. on altar or something like that, I would probably be feeling quite a bit more generous of it. Mm. You're right. This is me wanting more from the present day story and less from something where I just think, okay, but we already know the outcome because I struggle with this idea. We know that Paul is dead. 
So it's just a matter of what happened. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that I don't know that what we get is that illuminating. So this is like the plot driven side of me being anxious to move on with things as opposed to just appreciating how gorgeously shot this is, how depressingly bleak it is, how atmospheric it is. I'm wondering if this is a moment of kill your darlings that Stephen King Mm. has no ability to do sometimes, particularly when he's adapting his own work. Yeah. Because you're absolutely right. As far as taking this episode and isolating it from the rest, which is kind of how I approached it. I Mm. think it's a really well done episode, but you're absolutely right. What we learned from this particular sequence, we could have learned in about 10 minutes. Right. I'm, I'm almost even thinking, what if this had been the first episode and our Ooh. introduction to the Booyah Moon, to the world of Scott Landon? We don't know who any of these characters are or what will happen to then see a father murder his son mm. because he has seemingly become a creature, but then changes back and they're dropping like what's with the water? What's with the rain starting and stopping? You know, this could have been a fantastic way in. Mm. And yet I, I think it's by virtue of having it so late in the series, it's testing our patience a little bit, or at least mine, because I'm not going to speak for you. (laughs) I definitely, I mean, I I opened up our podcast episode by talking about that, the fact that she is still still. beaten and sitting there doing the most (laughs) egregious mouth acting that (laughs) Julian Morgan pull out. I I'm like, girl, can't we please heal your face? Because I'm ready for you to move Mm -hmm. on and start kicking ass. And yet here we are again, uh, shortest episode of the season so far, but 48 minutes later, she's still beaten up. And Mm -hmm. yes, I do feel that the wheels on the bus have not only been meandering, they have fallen off and are just (laughs) trailing down the hill to who knows what, because you're right. The, this episode as a whole, is definitely kind of trying... I can see it trying patience. For right. Sure. I mean, I, I that's why I appreciate these conversations, because I got out of this episode quite frustrated. And then we get on here, and you say, no, take a step back. Think about the artistic value of this sequence. And I am forced to reevaluate it and think, okay, well, it's not giving you what you want, or maybe what you need, or what you think the series should setting expectations aside, setting the urgency of plot with only a couple of episodes left, you are cueing me that there was a lot of good here. And I need to make sure that I'm recognizing that. On the opposite side of things, though, there was some stuff that I didn't really care for. I didn't like the opening, although I like the music. Um, I want to give, again, a shout out to Clark because I think he is turning out amazing, 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 amazing music in this. And the opening Mm -hmm. of this film or film, the opening of this episode, while the score is positively buzzing, I was a little bit annoyed that we get Dash Mule to show up again, just Mm -hmm. to basically say like, no, don't go do this. He's, he's unnecessary at this point. We know that Dooley's already off the rails and he's doing his own thing. We don't need that confirmation. We don't need it. Exactly. But the music that underscores this scene is so good it, it brought me back to and the episode the music in this entire episode brought me back to silent hill with these sort of uh-huh. industrial tinge mixed with some kind of orchestral type stuff okay and piano yep. music i it was really working for me and i i immediately took a note down this score is positively buzzing i'm in love even though the, what was <laughs> happening on the screen wasn't the most visually exciting right the music just like really grabbed me this episode hmm. 
Okay. I mean, everybody knows score is not my big thing. Um, as you're describing it, I can hear it, but I hadn't taken note of it. I just, I love music <laughs> and I particularly go. love industrial. And I, and that's the kind of uh, realm that Clark seems to be operating in, particularly mm-hmm. with this. And then also with uh, Daniel isn't real. I just, right. there's something about a score that just like really cues me in sonically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. You mentioned that we don't really need that opening scene. Is it there for any other reason than to remind us that yes, Jim Dooley is going to do this no matter what? It's kind. Of, there's an interesting thing where it's it's establishing all of our main characters and where they're at. You know, it's mm-hmm. Julian Moore, it's Lisi at the at the pool beaten up, it's Darla in bed, it's Jim Dooley reading the manuscripts. Like that is interesting, and that would would have been an interesting establishment. It just I don't know why we're bringing Dashmill back five episodes in when he hasn't even been in the season since what the beginning of maybe second episode he's briefly mentioned like when the cops call him yeah yeah and then he hasn't been in at all no i mean this series has definitely cherry-picked how it wants to use people and it's not afraid to just kind of kick people to the curb for long stretches of time which is amusing because it as you mentioned, you know, it should feel like Lizzie's story. And yet so often Julianne Moore, even when she's on screen so often, doesn't feel present. She? No, she's reacting to things. It, it, this episode in particular, it, it's all her reacting. It's either her sitting there at the pool, her face beaten in. I'm going to keep harping on this because mm-hmm. it bothers me so much. <laughs> but her just sitting there, like looking up at the sky, like, okay. I, I can just imagine the direction. Okay. Now you're thinking about the scene. So just stand there thinking about it. Right. Or it's when Scott is talking to her and she is just has again, the mouth acting her mouth open, like in kind of horror at what's, what's being told. Like she is passive. She has no agency until the very last scene of this episode. She has absolutely no agency in what's happening right now. Oh, and she hasn't. Oh, okay. 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 I'm going to push back gently on this right. because Terry in the past we see that she brought him out of his uh, away status when she went into the Booyah Moon and she rescued him by using his absolutely gorgeous knit yellow kind of sweater thing. So she so she did have agency once upon a time. I will counter that, though, by saying that her agency is her leaving and then it's actually Scott saving her. <laughs> By coming after her and being like, you, you're, you got to think back home. And they're the only, and he's the only reason she didn't get, well, him and the poor red shirt that comes running after them, yelling at them for making noise is the only reason she didn't get eaten up by the the long boy is because of him coming to save her. So I will counter that gently as well. (laughs) Counter to the counter. Got it. You're right. Um, (laughs) No, you're, you're right. And while I did enjoy Tay Diggs wannabe cameo there, um, I, I guess I was just intrigued by this idea that present day Lizzie is acting like she's stunned. I keep I keep wanting to use the word fascinated because it feels like her passivity is a response to like she just is no longer present. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's the way the show intends it for it to be read. But I I was just gobsmacked by this idea that she doesn't know how to heal herself, seemingly doesn't remember the properties of Booyah Moon and its healing power, even though we've literally been hearing it for every single episode. (laughs) And then I realized, oh, what the show is trying to cue us to is that 
it goes back to what she said in the car on their honeymoon, right? Where she says, you can tell me everything, but I can't, like, we're never going to talk about this again. And it is interesting. We go back and, and see that scene repeated with mm-hmm. additional components, right? Where it's like, I did like but that. also, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if you ever need to get there, use water. It's like, cool. Thanks, Scott. Got that. And she remembered that two episodes ago. Well, and here's the thing. I think that this episode is explicitly telling us that it was so traumatic for her to go there by herself to rescue Scott the first time that she has repressed the whole thing. And this is the episode where, you know, it's the specter of Scott. He's back there at the side of the pool with her, making her remember all of these conversations in order to activate her memories that she has seemingly completely forgotten. Because if not, like, we we have to basically call her a huge liar when she went to visit Amanda in the institution and said, oh, it's a farce. It's something Scott made up. It's like, bitch, you went there. <laughs> you rescued your husband from there. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you're, you're you're absolutely right. Okay, can we also talk a little bit though about how Clive Owen is not a good actor in this? <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I I feel like I've been struggling with this. I remember bringing up at one point that his accent seemed dodgy in particular episodes. Was he trying to be childlike in this? Because his explanation of when he was when he was first talking to Lisi and he's explaining the situation in the, in, towards the beginning of the episode, I couldn't tell if he was drunk or childlike or both. Like I just I was not really understanding what energy Clive was was channeling in this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he he has definitely seemed different under different circumstances. Like I remember when he was suffering from the blood pool, when he was like punching his hand, mm-hmm. he did seem very childish. Um, almost like it's a regressive state when he has to undergo certain things or like, if it reminds him of this destructive childhood, he becomes a child again. But in this case, yeah, they're, they're just what, like sitting on the couch drinking wine and he's telling her about how his abusive father shot his older brother who was possessed by a demon it's like well there is no reason for that no and sebastian eugene hansen is turning in a much better performance as young scott landon than Mm. clive owen is yes although i i do want to give a slight diss to the hair department on this episode because that kid's hair (laughs) is immaculately perfect under seemingly horrid conditions where like his father is disappearing for long stretches. They're not eating regularly. They're poverty stricken living on this gross ass farm. And I'm like, can I have that hair? Cause it looks like you just came from the salon <laughs> girl. I know <laughs> to die for. <laughs> yeah. Like give me those soft curls with that, like slightly <laughs> damp look. Yes. <laughs> Gay podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also have a question, though. Who is paying for all this water damage? Because I, oh, I don't okay. understand. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I, I don't understand. That. Like, in the beginning, in some of the episodes, it's like, okay, it's like a, it's imaginary water. It's not there. But we are literally turning on the water in places. Uh-huh. We are literally turning on the sink, and it is literally overflowing. Yeah. Where's the water damage? And who's oh, paying yeah. for it? No, I understand uh, he's rich, but come on. No, I 100% was thinking that today. Just like 
Oh, there would be so much water damage all the time. Even, you know, when he was in the hospital and he left mm. the water running, who's going to pay for that? In the U.S., your healthcare system, you can't just be <laughs> leaving the water on and ruining, like, private property like that. And that poor inn? Mm-hmm. That beautiful inn? I, I think that's why those two innkeepers look so fucking pissed off as they're driving <laughs> away. Like, thanks for the water damage, you a-holes. We're going to have to replace that fireplace now. Oh, Lord. It's too funny. Yeah. Okay, so water damage aside, Terry, I have a question. (laughs) All right. We see a brief shot near the opening of the police officer sitting in his car. Is he outside Lisey's farm again? Yes, I believe believe he is sitting out there. It's such a brief shot, and I'll be honest, I sometimes confuse her house with Amanda's, but I'm pretty sure that was Lisey's house, yeah. Okay, because that, that's interesting, right? That means that we have the police back in in play because supposedly this is all happening in the same night and Jim Dooley is supposed to return to collect more pages. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I wonder how she's going to get rid of him because she obviously mm-hmm. she's obviously taking the, the threat seriously from him that he's going to kill her sisters. So mm-hmm. I'm, I am curious how that's going to to play out. Yeah, for sure. sure. Um, okay, so let's talk about the climax though, really fast. I the again with the things that I really like the visual motif of the of the downpour of water. You kind of touched on a little bit earlier, um, but the way that it just started downpouring and then it would stop and then it would yeah. start again. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really really fascinating and really kind of cool visual motif that again Pablo Rai, La Rain has been utilizing throughout this well throughout the series in particular, but this episode in particular in in, spe- in specific. I was really digging the way that that kind of mirrored the kind of sadness that was happening, but also Scott kind of gains power in this point where he steps back on it. He, he talks back to his father yeah, in such that, an interesting way. Yeah. That was one of the things that I really liked because I had been taking notice of it, but I think it's, it's just that much more explicit and obvious after Paul has been killed and Scott is no longer trying to get to the Boogie Moon and the brain just immediately stops. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, okay, that's striking. That's, that's very evocative. And then when Scott confronts his father to say, okay, I'm going to take the body back. I just, I love that you're right. It's not just him taking power, but then it's, it's a visualized mm-hmm. piece where you say, this is how you know that now he is starting to own it, that he is starting to come into his power, his, you know, in a way we almost had to kill Paul to get Scott to a certain point where he can now control mm-hmm. his ascent, his ability to move between worlds and so on. So you're right. I, I thought it was a great moment and very interesting to watch in the show. Yeah, it's the moment that really stood out for me this particular episode. And I think that it kind of it kind of informs who Scott is and as an adult. Do do we need the rest of it? Maybe not. But that moment in particular, mm-hmm. I just it like, OK, I understand why Scott is the way he is. He is right. at this point. And I, I love that you can kind of see his power a little bit where he tells him to back off. And then all of a sudden the the, the pump starts working on mm-hmm. its own and starts pouring water out. I was like, okay, we can see that that little supernatural thing. And then we also have Scott as an adult explaining that, you know, I mean, we kind of surmise this already, unfortunately, but that this is a pool. The pool is like a thing that all creatives go to to get their right. ideas is basically what he's explaining it as. Yeah. And we I mean, we already kind of knew that, but at least it's it's confirmation of that, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
like a lot of King properties, certain things are teased or suggested. And then it's nice when you actually get the payoff. I don't think they could have gone in any other direction than to have confirmed this. And yet, I don't know, part of me just keeps thinking, oh, we got that great scene where Lizzie is wandering around in between all these other Mm. people. And it again, just makes me want a little bit more of like, okay, are they all Scotlandans who have escaped these abusive upbringings where they just needed to get to Booyaman so that they could bury their older brother who they idolized or are they like that woman that we heard muttering in that one episode talking about how she had to kill them? Like, who are these other people? And I recognize, yes, it's still Lizzie's story, not the Booyah Moon. And yet I would just love a little bit more about some of these other fascinating pieces. Me too, because that scene in particular was also very striking. I loved the, the everyone's impatient hisses of, of mm-hmm. shh, because she's being so loud and she is not, listening yeah. to the rules of this yeah, place she does not respect what is going on around her no. which i appreciate you know she's there to collect her husband but also lady you're in an alternate reality the rules just God, because you don't understand them they still apply to you yeah <laughs> absolutely but it was it was a really cool scene i thought where everyone's like shit i'm like oh gosh when is this thing going to show up it, mm-hmm. it had a lot of it had a lot of dread in it which i appreciated yeah, yeah. all right so this episode ends with her grabbing up her tools of her, warfare, I guess. Her tools, but seemingly also a bit of Scott's writing that she And matches. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm presuming that she is going to collect Amanda. I don't know why Amanda would need either matches or Scott's writing to bring her back. I thought she was going to go for the yellow knit blanket and be like here's yeah. a piece of scott it's an anchor a confirmed anchor but no so what, what do you think is going to happen next episode uh, basically that she's gonna go save amanda is that what we're thinking that's what i'm thinking but it's a bit of a deadline right because we do have the threat of jim dooley returning at a certain time so i can't help but wonder if it's going to be i need to figure out how the booyah moon works again because i've forgotten mostly everything get back there, manage to get Amanda out without attracting the attention of the long boy and then get back to the real world before Jim and maybe the police recognize that I've been gone. And presumably she has to heal herself. Maybe that's the real reason she's going because of the healing property. But why does she bring the shovel? Like a I dragon don't know. slayer. She's used <laughs> it to kill wounds. She I, she has. It's absolutely that's absolutely true. I you know, I I love what you're saying, but knowing how Mm-hmm. slow things have been tracking out i do not think we're going to be seeing jim dooley much at all next episode i think right. it is all going to be her going to go save amanda and probably maybe hopefully getting mm-hmm. kind of a flashback to their childhood because again this is Lisa's right. story we know that drama happened between the three of them we know we've seen like their kind of imagination of being on a pirate ship you know idea right. that was showing up but we know literally nothing about the other two characters other than what we see currently. And Mm -hmm. with this being such flashback heavy, I kind of hope that maybe we'll get some flashbacks for Lisey. What in Lisey's story? (laughs) Stop being so demanding. I know. I know. What was I, what am I thinking? (laughs) (laughs) You just, you have such high expectations. I I do. 
I also just want her to get her fucking face healed. Right. No, I think we're for sure <laughs> going to get that. So at, at the bare minimum, you will get a uh, beautiful, regular Julian Moore back on our television screens at some point next week. So she can continue doing her mouth, her mouth acting with a, a better face, a fixed face. <laughs> very important. It is. It's very important. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, that seems reasonable. The other thing to note is that all of these episodes get shorter. I think the mm-hmm. finale is long again, but the other episodes increasingly drop a couple minutes each time. So maybe shorter episodes will mean more targeted, more specific kind of storytelling. I hope so, because I honestly, I mean, I know we kind of disagreed a little bit on this, but I honestly thought that this was the better paced of the episodes in terms mm-hmm. of what was happening and i i do think even though it's maybe like three or four minutes shorter than the others i felt those three or four minutes missing like it it felt quicker for me so right. hopefully okay yeah i could be on board with that i don't think we need every episode to be 40 minutes 50 minutes nearly no. an hour you know if you're not doing this for television if you're not filling making a show to fill out an hour of programming not everything has to be the same length for each episode people mm-hmm. Yeah, I I often think about the episode of the OA, which is not a great show by any stretch. Netflix is the OA, but there's a flashback heavy episode that basically gives you the main character's backstory. All the other episodes before it have been nearly an hour long. And then Mm -hmm. this one episode, which takes place in Russia, is just over a half an hour. And you're like, yep, it is well paced. And that is all they needed to do with this one episode. And then they go back to other longer episodes later. I do remember that. I remember I remember that episode in particular because I it, it shocked me at how quick it was compared to mm-hmm. the other episodes. And also that is what I remember about that series and also the dancing. Uh, yes, the dancing is. Um, yeah. Yeah, the dancing is something. <laughs> Definitely didn't try to replicate it in a mocking way at all when I watched that show. (laughs) Could have been a TikTok star, let's just say. Oh, I wish we had that video. (laughs) Uh, That's another podcast. That's for another story. You know what, Terry? I'll tell it to you over wine in front of the fireplace uh, one of these days. (laughs) Hopefully while there's a waterfall happening around the entire room. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right. (laughs) All right. So, Jerry, if people want to agree with you to talk about this stunningly beautiful flashback and well-paced episode, how would they get a hold of you? You would reach me on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. And somehow I feel like I'm probably going to be in the minority. But if people want to agree with you, Joe, about how this episode was kind of needless and a little bit presented in the wrong order, maybe for the rest of the pacing of the show, Mm -hmm. how would they get in touch with you? Uh, people can come and agree with me where I am always right on Twitter <laughs> at B stole my remote. And that's the letter B. <laughs> Either way, we're both right, right? Indeed. Yes. There, there, <laughs> there is no wrong reading or wrong appreciation. There's no one way to enjoy Lizzie's story. Well, unless it's not mine. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that too. So, uh, yes, we will be back with another episode talking about, well, episode six next week. And in the interim, we would love it if you would check out the other shows on the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Maybe give a little rating or a review just to help the network out. That would be lovely. And so until next time, uh, we will see you. Where will they see us, Terry? You'll see us out of the beautifully yellow crocheted throne. Oh, Afghan. <laughs> I love it. And be quiet. You'll bring it. Shh. 